Welcome to AIJ Cast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthane Sanders. On this episode, part two of our conversation with Lauren Wright Pittman. Lauren is a graphic designer, a painter, and an ordained pastor, and she spoke with us from her home in South Carolina. There's a parallel for me with the work that I do with producing other people's podcasts, predominantly in the world of church and of justice. And the work that you're doing as a graphic designer in these nonprofit and churchy worlds, that to me, those connections give me almost like a, a multilingual fluency. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I was somebody who was an expert in sound waves and equipment only, I wouldn't know how to talk the talk or have the conversation or engage in those theological and equity questions. Yes. Do you, do you find that as part of your work as well? I mean, you're clearly an expert in design and in color and choice and, and spacing and all those kinds of things. And yet you have this multilingual fluency in other areas of life as well. Yeah. So I think I've had to explain this a lot in my ordination process, uh, because a lot of people just didn't understand like why I needed to be ordained to this work, why I needed to be a pastor. And like you're saying, there's an embodiment that you can take on as a pastor along with all of the experience you have in other realms. Those things together can reach a new level of intentionality in the work that you're doing with them. I sometimes consider myself a graphic designer slash pastoral care giver because the work of creating a new identity can be really painful. It can Mm -hmm. be really triggering to communities. Change, especially in the church, is greatly resisted. And so in these conversations of moving from an old logo, which, you know, some people just say, it's just a logo, right? Right. But until I present a new option they cling to that logo like it's the essence of who they are. And so at certain points in those conversations, it's a lot of working through, okay, what's act, what are we actually talking about? You know, the new logo kind of becomes the scapegoat or the all where all the energy of the resistance to change or the disappointment in the church kind of gets placed on that. And then we Mm -hmm. kind of have to move through that. And Mm -hmm. so as, as a pastor in that scenario, I think there's a lot of, a lot more trust given to me to help walk the community through that process instead of being a designer that doesn't really care about all of that. You know, I mean, if you hired another designer, they'd be like, that's your stuff. I, this, my job is to create something that represents you. And for me, Part of that work is moving past even those symbols that we hold tightly to, you know, Mm. most churches want to cross somehow in their logo because if they don't, then they're not a church, right? Like it doesn't count, right? It's not a church. (laughs) You know, I, I kind of like having that conversation of pushing past that if we can to what are some other images that Christ offers us that we can allow to identify us. You know, Christ didn't offer us the cross as an image. So why are we holding to it so tightly. (laughs) Yeah. It's that desire to make the T of Presbyterian into a cross just so you can make sure that you check the box. Right. Yes. Yes. I don't get me wrong. Like 
I put crosses in things all the time because that's just part of it, right? It's part of this like very ingrained visual identity. And I will play around with how to imply a cross instead of it just being straight up there with other imagery. Honestly, more recently, I've tried to push some of my clients to not use a cross. And then I've realized that sometimes when you don't, it starts to bring up connections to other things that you don't necessarily want it to, you know, like, like for example, I was using kind of this, uh, I think it's the Jesuit symbol. There's like a sun mm. around and it's really beautiful. And I just wanted the sun. I didn't want there to be a cross or anything. And then <laughs> the client was like, you know what? This reminds me of this Mexican restaurant I go to, <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, you know? So there's, there's this visual language we have that I'm trying to kind of break down, but it's still there. And so you yeah. can't force it too hard because then, you know, then you've got a, you know, a Mexican restaurant logo for your church and you don't want that. <laughs> or maybe you do, maybe, maybe you would get more people into the pews. Right. If it was, yeah. you know, if they had, yeah. We've touched on this and I, I would love to dig into this because the way that you and I first met was through your work here in Atlanta, I was serving as a pastor. You were in seminary and part of the requirement of seminary is to work in a church. And yes. so you came into that context as a student pastor is what we called it with this clear sense of, I'm going to put words in your mouth and you correct me if I'm wrong. This is my recollection. There was a resistance within you to going to seminary in the first place. Yes. There was a resistance within you in working in a congregational context as a pastor using air quotes. Yes. <laughs> and yet you named that you were very open about that. You're, and I think that was one way, way that you and I first connected because I had the same kind of resistance of going to seminary as well. Um, but I think part of that wrestling that I saw within you was this identity as artist and that there was this effort to push you into a different mold of being a pastor and what that meant. Yes. Now you've moved into this interesting space where you are an ordained pastor whose vocation is artist. Yes. And so I would that's a that's an amazing journey that I would love to know. I know our listeners would love to hear more about. I would love to hear more about that process. I mean, when you were saying you're now a pastor working as an artist, it was like my I couldn't like keep the smile off my face. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Right? Yeah, I was externally affirmed a lot growing up. And as I moved past uh, college, I worked at a campus ministry and did design work. I was continually being affirmed and to go to seminary. You yeah. would be a great pastor, all of this. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this does not resonate with me. So it was like a pigeonholing of it, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I set every obstacle in my own way. Well, if I have to pay a cent, I'm not going. And then I got a scholarship <laughs> that paid for it. And it was like, dadgummit. It was like every step of the way. When doors are opening like that, it's kind of like you just got to, sometimes you just got to walk through the door, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. But I went to seminary kind of kicking and screaming in some ways and... I remember uh, in preaching class, Anna Carter Florence, she's incredible. I gave my first sermon and I cried through the entire thing. It was intense. Wow. And I'm sure it was a sermon I needed to hear. She, always, she said that, you know, your first sermon is always the sermon you need to hear. Yeah. 
and she pulled me aside. Um, she was like, you need to cut it out. And I was like, what? (laughs) She was like, I know you have this attitude. You don't want to be here. You're waiting for one thing to go wrong and you're out. Mm. She's like, I see it. And I felt this kind of like softening happen. And then she was like, just be here. Receive the Mm. gift of this time. Nobody is forcing you to be a pastor. That is your decision. That is nobody else can make you be that. Be here and receive what there there is to receive here. Be who you are and see what happens. Hmm. I mean, it was kind of like just a shaking. It's like she kind of shook me mm-hmm. <laughs> out of my, you know, I was going to miss the whole thing. I was going to miss everything I was learning, the relationships, everything, because I was so angry about being there. I was so mm. angry. There was a grief too, because I felt like in going there, I was like finally um, succumbing to this outward call that I didn't want. This pressure, yeah. This pressure, this... The uh, unmet expectations of other people kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I just kept, I kept imagining myself. And gosh, when I worked at, uh, worked with you as a student pastor, I remember putting on a robe for the first time. I think I even have like a selfie. I was like, cause I was so, it was so bizarre. It was like my, um, imposter syndrome. You're playing dress up. Yeah. Yes. I like was dressing up. I was in this, like this robe that was made for a man that was bigger than me and it didn't have pockets. So then I, I remember I had to like get a belt to wear under the robe because I had right, to, to hold the, mic. the microphone and yeah, it was like yeah, yeah, everything yeah. about it was entirely unnatural and just like felt like I was just playing a role mm-hmm. that I wasn't meant to be in and and there was more stuff to that like it wasn't just oh I'm an artist it was also that I was a woman and that I had this like questioning of my own authority like can I be mm-hmm. an authority in this space so then I started to meet other people in seminary who were also kind of begrudgingly there. I don't know if that's the right. (laughs) (laughs) We like, we kind of, we kind of like found each other. Um, Lyle um, was one of them. Lyle Garrity. Yes, Lyle Garrity. Allison Waring was my roommate. Mm -hmm. Uh, She and I were always making art in our apartment um, and kind of wondering, you know, we've got three years in this space and then what are we going to (laughs) do? Because it's probably not going to be what everyone thinks it's going to be. And I thankfully had, um, some professors like Brennan Breed, um, and Kim Long and Martha Morkish, Raj Nadella. They were so affirming and just excited for me to express myself as an artist Mm. in any way I could. Christine Yoder. Mm -hmm. So I started asking if I could, and along with some of my colleagues in seminary, um, started asking, instead of writing a paper, can I paint something and then write like my exegetical paper is explaining my exegesis through explaining the painting or, and it was more work. Like we were not only writing the paper, we were also creating an image or, and we had some of our professors were like, yeah, let's try it. <laughs> some were not accommodating. Yeah. And so I started painting using that kind of processing of all of the 
theological framework that I had had been like dismantled and they don't want you to say that deconstructed, whatever it was. And I was trying to figure out what this new, I don't know if I would call it a structure because it's not as rigid as it was, um, kind of my understanding of God, but the best way that I could do that exploration was in painting. I remember some of the worst moments of my life, my mom would bring me a canvas and Mm. would just say, paint. I had somebody that I barely knew. It just kept happening. It was like somebody that I barely knew when I was grieving a tremendous loss in my life. I just got watercolors in the mail. And it was Mm. just like, just this kind of pushing of like, I know this is how you process things. So when I was in seminary, that was I, that needed to be part of it for me. Yeah. Lauren Wright Pittman on AIJCast. We'll be back to more of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. As I always do in our breaks, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, because that's where we keep the links to our artists and to their news events and products. Obviously, with the effects of COVID-19, most in-person artistic events have been canceled or moved online. So check our website and the artist links for more information. I also want to remind you that we have a shop where you can not only buy really cool AIJCast swag, all rocking the logo that Lauren Wright Pittman designed for us, you can find links to the artwork that our artists themselves sell. And this is a really great time to be supporting them and their important work. I also want to share some good news about AIJCast with you. We recently received a generous grant from the Presbyterian Church USA, so a big shout out and thanks to them. And that grant is going to allow us to pilot some new projects and opportunities, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can find out more about those grants, about the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement of the Presbyterian Church USA by visiting presbyterianmission.org or newchurchnewway.org. By the way, at newchurchnewway.org, you'll also find the podcast, New Way, which yours truly is the producer. Multiple plugs here today. And of course, you can find links to these things and so much more on our website, AIJCast.com. And now back to more of our conversation with Lauren Wright Pittman. My sense is that it's still that challenge of you have these affirmations that are continuing to say, yes, this is the Reverend Lauren Wright Pittman, artist, pastor, and people who are saying, yeah, but you're not doing it right. Yes. And maybe that's always going to be that tension. And what I hear in your story is that second voice of you're not doing it right. That's those outside expectations that you resented at the beginning. And this other, this affirmation is kind of what has bubbled to the surface and I'm wondering what those those outside expectations, how you receive those now. What what do they do? Have they lessened their power? Do you hear them less? What I still hear them, and it's I think it's an ongoing process, because not only am I now a pastor, I'm also a pastor's wife. So there's there's some dynamics there too. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of people that just don't know what to do with me. They find out I'm a pastor and then they ask me what church I'm pastoring at. I'm like, I'm not pastoring at a particular church. I'm serving the the greater presbytery, actually the wider church. And then the conversation kind of dribbles out at that point because it's like they don't know what to do with me. It's like, well, so you're not a pastor? Like it's like at that point it becomes like, oh, well, you're not preaching in a pulpit every Sunday, so that means that you're not really a pastor. You're 
one of the things that kept coming up was almost like it was a selfish pursuit. Like I just wanted to do the thing that I wanted to do. And I was like kind of bucking the system because I wanted, you know, there's kind of like this attitude towards particularly people of my, my age too, is just like, oh, you just can't handle the way things are and you're going to make your own thing. And it's not really the thing. Millennial. (laughs) It's all about you, isn't it? I don't know how many times I've sat, like it even happened at, at, at seminary where the whole conversation was about the problem of the millennial. And there were like 20 of us in the room and we were like, hi, I'm a millennial. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, what? (laughs) You know, they're not getting married in the church. They're not, you know, doing all these traditional things. I think I have externalized an inner critic mostly. I think yeah. that I take some of the things that people say or the misunderstandings as a critique or as a judgment on my um, ministry and my pursuit and living into my call. And it may just be myself still hmm. kind of, you know, part of my journey has been, you know, I grew up in a church that was not fully affirming of women in leadership. So, I mean, Mm. there's like those layers there too. It strikes me really in some ways, it's something I knew, but I'm reminded of it, that it is my interactions and relationship with people like you and Allison that led me to think about my ministry in a different way too. Now I've got all that, I've done the traditional pastor thing, right? And now I'm in this space where I'm having those same conversations, which are different because I'm a guy and, and, and there's other layers to that, but the same thing of like, oh, so you're a pastor, what's your church? And how can a podcast be a church? How can it be a community? All those kind of things, which, you know, those are conversations I am willing to have. And yet it's the, the reality of what you and Allison and others have modeled for people like me is there are other ways of being more fully yourself in order to be God's instrument, strive to be God's instrument in the world. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, and I, I felt that like when we were working together, you never made me to feel like I had to fit into that mold. I mean, do you remember? I was like, can I have the organ like interrupt me while I'm preaching so that I could oh, do this one of the thing coolest or whatever? Moments ever, and, yeah. it, and it's like, I just think that, gosh, if the church is going to be bound by buildings and pulpits, if anything, this pandemic is showing us that like that is yeah. not going to work. So to be able to have the church be the, the idea of what the church is expanded is like the only way yeah. that we can keep moving forward. Um, yeah. What I am learning from the field of theopoetics, this idea that art is every bit as legitimate an avenue for theological expression as word. Yes. And man, we are bound up in our enlightenment reformation ideals that we think that word is the only way. And I can excel in the world of words. It's the reason that I do a podcast where I get to talk a lot. Uh-huh. And yet, boy, that's a narrowing of God's incarnate abilities to say that it only comes out in the spoken word or the written word. I totally agree. We, I do want to, we've mentioned it a couple of times. I do want to make sure that we talk about it. Uh, a sanctified art is a 
ministry art collective that you are a part of. Lau Gwynn Garrity and Sarah Ara both been on the podcast way back in our first season. And tell us, remind us about A Sanctified Art. Tell us what it is that A Sanctified Art does and your role in that. So A Sanctified Art is a collective of artists, some that I met in seminary and also relatives of <laughs> of people I've met in seminary. Um, we're a collective that creates uh, multimedia resources for churches to use in Christian education and worship. And also we've had a lot, and I'm thankful for it, a lot of people engaging individually, people who don't have a church home, um, who don't want to step foot into a church, giving them resources that they can engage with on their own or within their own form, small groups. Uh, we create poetry, visual art, um, intergenerational art projects that people can do together. And it's been really interesting to adapt those resources now that we're all kind of worshiping online. Mm -hmm. I'm the director of branding, so I do a lot of design work. We meet around the lectionary texts. That's always the starting point for our work. And a theme kind of emerges for us. We used to not do themes, but we do them now, and people really enjoy them. Mm -hmm. um, and we tie them to the scriptures. That's always the starting point. So then we kind of, this theme emerges. Like, for example, for Advent this year, our theme is those who dream. And so then my, my role is to then kind of create a visual narrative, visual story around that theme and to package all the materials um, so that people can download them and use them in their own contexts. It feels like a place where you are both engaged in this kind of artistic expression that you talked about that's really very personal and it's coming out of you naturally and is embedded in client interaction and feedback and critique. Yes. And those are two places that we began by pulling apart and being right. able to separate. And now here's this work where you're doing yes. it together. What is that like? Oh my gosh. It's a dream. Honestly, I'm able to engage with scriptural texts in community. So for me, like a lot of my work is very individual. I'm so grateful to have to work with this team and to be able to bounce ideas off of one another. I get to use that part of my brain where I'm trying to almost market it it feels weird because we we call people that we work with patrons because mm. we really are trying to foster this um, culture between church and artists that the church can be patrons of art again mm. and every interaction we have whether it be you know you have trouble downloading the resources we consider that a pastoral interaction because yeah. it can be really stressful for pastors yeah. to have things not download correctly Technology is hard. We're having to use it so much right now. So I'm getting to use these different parts of, so the graphic design part of myself, and then also this, you know, visual emotive expressive part of myself where I can just engage with a text really deeply and just have the freedom to have a really authentic response and people can take it or leave it. I'm not their pastor particularly. So I don't have all of those layers when I talk to my my husband, who's a pastor, all of these things that he has to work through on how sure. he communicates what he's trying to get, get to. I am able to kind of have the freedom to express myself fully visually and also now um, writing these commentaries, artist statements that go along with them. So I'm getting to engage with all of these parts of myself that were so segmented and 
seemed separate and now it's like they're all together and kind of creating this new path that people can engage with themselves more fully in worship and in their own spiritual journeys. Lauren, if you had a charge for our listeners, maybe it's a piece of wisdom that you go back to regularly or something that our conversation has sparked, what would it be? I think it would be to pay attention. I find that God is trying to communicate to me, with me. I find that there's connection to be had just by noticing the different shades of green on a leaf to feeling your feet on the ground to hearing the way the breeze is blowing through the trees. For me, like during this time of the pandemic, just connecting to that kind of more intuitive self and just responding to the environment and the ways that God is present everywhere. Lauren Wright Pittman, thanks for being on AIJCast. Thank you so much. Lauren Wright Pittman on AIJCast. You can find her online at loopstudio.com. Loop is spelled L-E-W-P and at sanctifiedart.org. On our next episode, a conversation with Jay Cameron Carter and Shan Overton. AIJCast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. We can only do what we do because of your support. So please do take a moment and go to our website, AIJCast.com, where you can click on the link that says support. I also remind you to check out the shop section of our website where you can support our artists. And you can also check out some of our really sweet AIJCast swag with a gorgeous logo designed by Lauren Wright Pitt. And we love to interact with you on social media. We are there on a number of platforms where our handle is, of course, AIJCast. Our music is provided by our house band, Marg Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the always LARPing Al Mudif. Al has this simple advice for the best way to enter a building. Sometimes you just got to walk through the door. And I'm your host, Martha Sanders, encouraging you to go, rather stay put, create some beauty of your own, and remember that there is no true beauty until the world is beautiful for all. So I leave you with peace and justice.